podcast is brought to you by Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome all you QT faithful to your monthly Hindler devotional, where each month we sit down and take an intense look at one of the majestic soundtracks from the Tarantino-verse. I'm your host, the Reverend Scott Kay, and it is my pleasure to welcome back to the show, co-host of the Bachata Talk podcast, Mr. Frank Hannon. Together, we will be giving a thorough examination of the tracks that reside on the amazing Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Welcome back, Mr. Hannon, and may Tarantino be with you always. No, so with you. Good to be back. It's good to have you back. We'll have to get you on an official episode one of these days since you're on the, the new Bible study hey. sort of thing. So you don't get all the special guest questions like they do on the on the original. <laughs> I guess you have to work your way up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still a rookie, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, you were on the um Jackie Brown. Yes. Were you on Jackie Brown? Yeah. Yes, you're on the Jackie Brown. I sometimes forget all my panel. I know my panel guests. I just sometimes forget where they were on. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of freaking guests, right, on those panels. <laughs> And you're also one of the few people who've also crossed over from being a fan to being on the show. You and Sean Wheeler, I think, are the two I can think of that come to mind who kind of transferred from being fan of the show to now being on the, the show. Few, so. The proud. <laughs> <laughs> the few, the proud, the Tarantinos, the Tarantino, the Tarantinoettes. That's what we'll call you. <laughs> hey, I'll take it. I, I, I love that. That's what's up. Now, for those people who didn't get to hear Jackie Brown, you co-host a podcast yourself, yes. the Bachata Talk podcast. Why don't you go ahead and let my listeners know what your show is about and uh, where they can find it, which will also be in the show notes at the end of the show. All right. So um, Bachata Talk is a music podcast devoted to bachata, which is the Dominican genre of music. Um, we, Me and my co-host, Aidan Sounds, we, we do track reviews, album reviews. We have concepts like where we talk about 
whether some songs are either good covers or if they fucked it up, you know? It's a little bit better language, <laughs> but it's not a Tarantino podcast, so the F-bombs are... Yeah, it's not just, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> but yeah, we, we... Yeah, if you don't say a motherfucker <laughs> or a fuck, at least, we're not, we're not keeping up to date. But we have uh, a lot of great concepts that we have fun doing, songs that we don't skip, you know, stuff like that. And we, we're really having a lot of fun. You can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify or on Instagram where we share song recommendations every day. A little bit after the... The Jackie Brown um, panel, we did a, a live where we did the top 10 songs of the year. Uh, that was fun. It was it was nerve wracking for me because I never freaking <laughs> do camera like that. But it's a lot of fun. We're, we're, we're enjoying it. It's, it's something that keeps me connected to, to my Dominican culture, um, both of us. And um, there's a, there's not a lot of bachata podcasts out there, you know, just like that's how I found you. Every once yeah, in a while, I know. I'm searching fucking Tarantino, man, and, and I couldn't find something. And one day... The, ter- the Church of Tarantino <laughs> popped up. And I've One day. Yeah. And I've been listening A new ever church. Since. Yeah, man. I've been listening ever since. So, you know, that's how it is. But thank you. Thank well, we you. appreciate it. Thank you. How's, how many shows are you into now? Now that we're, well, by the time this debuts, you actually... You can actually, again, this is one of those weird American things where we take other people's cultures and uh, celebrate them because we can drink. But this show is actually playing, as people listen to it, on St. Patrick's Day hey, here in America. Drink up, yep. motherfuckers. Yeah, drink up, motherfuckers. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of drinking in the Tarantino-verse. But um, how many episodes have you reached by this right point? Now, by the time we're, 30, they're we're this. 31 right now, having a lot of fun, 31 episodes. Uh, we mostly do like one a week. Yeah, you know, everything's not perfect, so there's been times that we take time off for certain reasons but yeah we're 31 and, and feeling we're feeling good because uh, for the most part it's one a week that we're doing so we're feeling cons- yeah feeling consistent about this uh confident about you know like i always want to improve we both do we always want to yeah. improve yet something that you told me very early on when i i messaged your page um and you talked about how you know the content i just focus on the content because i was worried about yeah. my sound and, and yeah. you said that to me early on, and, and that's something that I share with my co-hosts a lot of times. I'm like, hey, man, he told me this. And, and it's true. There is quality in content. Like, I was worried yes, about the, I, I was yep. worried about quality of sound so much. And when you mm-hmm. said that to me, it meant a lot because I was already listening to you. And for you to say that to me kind of helped me to, uh, hey, you know, just focus on that and be confident in your content, you know? I think 2020 is what kind of changed that game. Mm. Because, you know, before 2020... People were recording either face-to-face or they mm. found a room or they had a recording studio and all this other fancy stuff that a lot of the, you know, rich celebrity podcasts do. But that being said, once, I mean, if you've listened to even Tarantino's himself being a guest, sometimes he guested on the um, Pure Cinema podcast mm-hmm. uh, and he's been on some, and sometimes he does it in like, it feels like he's on like a dial-up phone. Like it's some, it's some of the, you yeah. know, for a guy who's so meticulous about his movies when it comes to him actually recording audio yeah. for a podcast, he, I don't know where he gets it. He's yeah. like using an old dial-up. Yeah. So it sounds like crap, but the key is, is you don't care what he sounds like as long as what he's saying yes. Yes. grabs your attention. Yeah. You know, obviously you don't, yeah. you don't want that kind of sounding either. <laughs> But that's technical stuff, yeah. you know, as long as it people can hear, you know, I mean, even professional athletes. I mean, if you watched anything even over the, the pandemic break, ESPN, I think they're interviewing people and they're using, you know, AirPods, you know, they're on a Zoom call yeah. they're using AirPods, you know, they're not set up in some professional mic or professionals and that. And it's more about what they're delivering than it was how it sounded. I think that was where the change came, yeah. where I think people were less, you know, 
pinky finger in the air, nose in the air about, oh, it doesn't sound professional. This is not NPR quality, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think they were more like, hey, I really like what this person's saying, you know, and I, I want to listen to it, you know? So, I mean, you'd have a conversation in the middle of a detractor poll if it was an in- interesting conversation. Yeah. We, I, I think it's just really about the uh, the conversation I mean, or the information like you're grabbing. in the toilet and we'll be like, yo, bring it on, bro. Right? <laughs> exactly. So, you know, so, yeah, what I if, if, if I ever, ever get that opportunity, he's the white whale. If I ever catch the white whale and he is on the show and he wants to do it on some dial-up in Tel Aviv, I'm not going to say a thing. I'm going to be like, well, let's do it. How do we make it work? So Keep yelling, bro. Keep yelling. <laughs> now, Pulp Fiction, we're going to talk about the soundtrack, but the movie itself next year is coming up on its 30th anniversary next year. Wow. Yes, that makes me feel super fucking old. Because I saw it as a kid, like as an 18-year-old, just becoming a man, like (laughs) just got hair on my balls, you know what I mean? Like just being able to grow facial hair. Now I've got no hair in my head (laughs) and I've got facial It's like, how did 30 years slide past so fast? But how is that film, how does the film Pulp Fiction resonate for you? Where does it land for Frank Hannon in his cinematic uh, journey? I mean, I think that's the film that made me or taught me to appreciate film in a different way because it was done so differently. I didn't even know what I was watching because, you know, you were a kid. I was a kid, too. Like, I was, yeah. I, I didn't even speak English back then, okay? So look <laughs> at that. So I was in Dominican Republic. I I saw things that I wasn't supposed to see on TV by accident, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so that, that film is a big deal. And, and also when it comes to the, you know, I know you've asked us this before, even on the panel about how it ranks. Yeah, it, it ranks up there because it was one of the first ones that I saw from him. So to me, in the cinematic journey, like you call it, like you said, is is something that really changed film for me. Even though I was not aware of the impact at the time, it just really changed how I would learn to... It's almost like when, when a TV show, like I think you've talked about Breaking Bad and stuff like that, they set a standard yep. for how you watch shows after that. And I think Tarantino Agreed. did that for a lot of us. Even if the, even the ones that are not fans, I think that he, he did something that people are like, hmm, they don't know how to even do out of order? How can you fuck that up? You know? Yeah. There's no doubt that that movie changed the landscape. And for me, the 90s will probably, until maybe, who knows, maybe in the next couple of decades, I'll, I'll change my mind on this. But as of right now, the 90s are the films that, they resonate with me the most. Yeah. They're the films, I like I like the films when I was younger. You know, the kid films are always have that little nostalgic, yeah. you know, tinge for you. But these, the Pulp Fiction and the films from the 90s that really came because of Pulp Fiction's mm. just emergence and what it did for cinema will always kind of dictate of how I've always felt about cinema. Copy. And so I'm with you. Pulp Fiction, it's my favorite film of all time, and it's because of it opened my mind and eyes to, to cinema in a whole different way. Like, everything since Pulp Fiction, there's like, you know, you have those touchstone <laughs> moments. You know, there's the BC before and, and after. <laughs> yeah, there's BP before Pulp, and then there's AP after Pulp, and it's changed. And I like that. There's like, I don't care what movies they're out there. It owes a bit of its gratitude or its ability to, to be where it is, like A24, like without Miramax and Pulp Fiction, even though I know who had Miramax for a bunch of assholes yeah, yeah. and real vile pieces of shit. But without those vile pieces of shit's company and what Pulp Fiction and Tarantino were able to do and help push forward all these, you know, help launch these directors because, you know, people saw that uh, the independent cinema was now the thing to do. We wouldn't have A24 now. We wouldn't have some of the things now. So those are the you know the flag bearers for, for the modern cinema. And now I think we're sliding away from it again, but 
if there's going to be people to bring it back, it's going to be the people who are Mavericks like Tarantino and his cohorts yeah. from the 90s that will swing things back. So Carrying the, the, the genre still. <laughs> Carrying it on, man. They've got to. Yeah, I'm looking forward to... Uh, you know, hopefully they'll have a 30th. They have to have a 30th anniversary release, but they didn't do it for Paul, for uh, Reservoir Dogs last year, so I was a little disappointed oh, with that. Yeah. I was a little disappointed that Reservoir Dogs did not, at least in my area, or at least a big, wider release, did not get a 30th anniversary release. Maybe because it had a 25th, I guess. Maybe they don't see 30th as being oh, a big deal. He, but... Maybe they were like, you know, the church is taking care of that release for us. <laughs> that, that was a good episode. <laughs> well, I would like a little, little residuals, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on. <laughs> I would like a little something. <laughs> <laughs> a t-shirt or something. <laughs> right. And now it's time to reach under your pews and pull out your Church of Tarantino hymnal as we begin our devotional with the soundtrack from Pulp Fiction. The Pulp Fiction soundtrack was released on September 27th, 1994 by MCA Records. It features 20 tracks from various artists and has a running time of 41 minutes and 11 seconds. The soundtrack has been certified platinum in Argentina, Belgium, France, New Zealand, Spain, and Sweden. It's also been certified triple platinum in Australia, Canada, the UK, and in the US. It was certified quadruple platinum in Denmark and has sold three and a half million copies alone here in the United States. Not only is the film influential, but the fucking soundtrack is influential. We did not know in 1994 that when Pulp Fiction came out and then the soundtrack, that this was going to be a thing that was going to always happen with him. That we were suddenly going to be drawn to not just having to get his movie, but we had to get the corresponding soundtrack, Mm -hmm. you know? And I know a lot of people who, they saw Pulp Fiction, and it's because they bought the Pulp Fiction soundtrack that they then went back and got the Reservoir Dog soundtrack, Mm -hmm. not the reverse. You know, I'm sure there are some who may have done it in that order, but I know for myself, I saw Reservoir Dog's before Pulp Fiction, like in that summer before it came yeah. out, but I didn't go and get the Reservoir Dogs soundtrack until I bought Pulp Fiction. So I got like Pulp Fiction and probably Reservoir Dogs in the same time frame. So, but yeah, that was, it became a thing where, you know, again, I was still young. I don't remember buying soundtracks. It just wasn't a thing at the time, but it became a thing as soon as this bad boy Yeah, I, I looked at other soundtracks after this one and I was like, mm, sometimes I was not, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, like it, it is a standard to which you hold it yeah. to as well. You know, you're kind of like, uh, it's a shitty soundtrack, you know. Man, you got two songs, but it's not, you know, it's not this. Yeah. And like the '80s soundtracks really felt like a Kenny Loggins type of year, where like they'd either hire somebody like a Kenny Loggins to do like the theme song for the soundtrack. You know, it would be the song that they would play. You'd know it as soon as you heard yeah. it in the theater. It would be the song like you know, whether it's Highway to the Danger Zone, uh, Footloose. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of ones that he did. And then you'd be like, oh, there's some other songs added on to it. But you'd be like, eh, it's okay. Where I feel like we were not only introduced to new films because of the influences we would learn about in Tarantino's films, but he introduced us to music that either our parents had known and we had maybe heard as younger or we just didn't even know ourselves. Yeah. It was like a whole other experience, you know, just with the soundtrack along with the film. Well, songs that nobody knew, like when we got to Kill Bill and yeah. stuff like that, you know? Or we'd also get the dialogue, too. So you'd get Ezekiel 2517. Yeah. How many people, I mean, it's funny, now we're, we're doing podcasts, so now you're listening to people talk, but yeah. how many people wanted to listen to people talk on a soundtrack before? You're getting, like, the juicy yes. bits from yes. his movies, and you could then regurgitate them over and over yeah. again. That's that one. Um, you guys talked about that on the first uh, Hymnal Devotional, and and that was something that, that I felt when I heard this. I was like, wow, there's bits of the movie here. And that yeah. changed everything, man. First of all, I felt like I could, at that time, I could listen to, you know, fucking cursing and shit on a little soundtrack and not have to worry about <laughs> getting a rap CD or some shit like that. Yeah. 
I'm like, I was like, mommy, it's just the the music. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Say one one more time. <laughs> oh God! But the very first song that kicks off this momentous soundtrack album is Ms. Relou yeah. by Dick Dale and his Deltones. This song was a hit in 1946 for Jan August, but it gained worldwide popularity through Dick Dale's 1962 rock surf version, where he rearranged the song as a solo instrumental rock guitar piece. This song has also been used in the show Mad Men, was played during the closing ceremonies of the Athens Summer Games in 2004, and it was also sampled by the Black Eyed Peas for the 2006 song Pump It. In 2005, Q Magazine named the song the 89th greatest guitar track of all time. Now this is one of the songs playing during the opening credits of the film, and that's another thing about this film that was so unique. Never before, and again, it may have happened before. So, you know, I don't want to just sound like Tarantino's the only person who's done it. But in my recollection to this point, I don't remember another film starting off with, you know, I mean, we get the whole... Everybody be cool. Yeah. It's a fucking right. You know, I know you fucking pricks moving on Mexican. Every motherfucking last one. You know, I hear that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it just kicks in. Like, it's a fucking punch in yeah. the fucking throat. Yeah. And it goes. And then you're listening to it, and it's just fucking grooving. And then all of a sudden, there's this. Yes. For those people who are very young and don't know what a dial on the radio was <laughs> to try to tune it in. And you'd hear that. Like, you're tuning a station. And then all of a sudden, it goes, to the, which we'll get into, but then it goes to the second track. I'd never s- remember seeing that in a film before where it would punch you in the face yeah. with this amazing opening track only to say, we've got two songs, motherfuckers. Yes, like, yeah. It's just like, like the balls. Like, I don't want one opening song. I want two opening songs. Yeah. And know what? You're going to like them both. <laughs> and to think that like this crazy surf rock song would marry with a funk 70s song. Yeah, if you said yeah. that, hey, would you like to listen to a surf rock song and then a funk song? People are like, fuck yeah. you. Someone's going to like one or the other. Very rare though, it would be two. Exactly. What is your recollections when you first, you know, that first time you're watching the film and I, they do it on the soundtrack, which is what I love. We got Honey Bunny and Pumpkin and Honey Bunny so sweet in the movie. Oh, I don't want to hurt anybody. Yeah. <laughs> and then the bitch jumps no. up. Any of you motherfucking pricks move, I'll <laughs> execute every motherfucking last one of you. And then it's, that heart bang, that yeah. just that motherfucker's going yeah. in on that guitar. What was your first reaction then when you first heard it for the very first time? It's the coolest thing. I mean, I at the time I just thought it was super cool. I, I think the fact that it, you know at the time I didn't speak English or whatever, and it was just listening to music, you know, and hearing the guitar, you know, bachata has a lot of guitar in it, so maybe I'm a little. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just I just felt like it's such a cool intro, like it's. It's fucking badass. And 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 it's, it hits you in the face, like you said. Mm-hmm. You know? And it goes with the ending of what she says. It's almost like, yo, we're going to... This is the beginning. You think this is the beginning, right? Or whatever. <laughs> but it really yeah. is not. And it just takes off. And that thing that you're talking about, the, 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 the dial? Yeah. Maybe somebody else has done it. But here's the thing. When it comes to Tarantino, maybe he's just the one that did it in a way that stayed with us. Or that Agreed. he got it right. You know? Yes. Um, because, yo, I, I don't remember that either. And I can't say that I'm like a Tarantino guy. that he, Like, I've watched all these movies from the 40s and shit. No. But, yeah. but one thing is for sure, that's the first time that I remember that. And then I started also noticing that not a lot of people, some shows will do where music is coming from a source, which I appreciate yes. that. You know, I appreciate that when it's like, oh, shit, it's coming from the radio. When they turn off the car. You know, it stops. Yes. Like, not a lot of people do that. 
You know, so I, I definitely that that's that's all I gotta say about that, man. That shit got me. <laughs> <laughs> now, I was been thinking about this because obviously part of this season is going through every soundtrack. And I've been thinking about the opening numbers for all of them. Like the very first song that we get from each each movie. Is there a better opening number for a Tarantino film than Misery Lou? That's a hard motherfucking question. Like I, I say, know. Um... I was listening to my my playlist the other day, and the soundtrack that will pro- that will follow this one is from Dust Till Dawn. And while again, technically not a directed by Tarantino, but the goddamn guy wrote it, he stars in it, he has his best friend direct it. Dark Knight is a great fucking song to open that movie, mm. but. Like you say, I don't know if anything else that just the timing, like because also we're gonna get into the track two in a minute where the opening song switch. It's that calm before the storm. They jump up on the table. We're robbing this motherfucking thing. We're gonna stop it right here at this moment. We're gonna hit you with this hard surf music, and then we're gonna change the two cool motherfuckers. We're gonna change the fucking song so you now know that we're in a different thing. But is there a better opening than Misra Lou in the Tarantino universe, as far as you're concerned? For the songs that you know that, that introduced the movie. Okay, here's here's what I'm gonna say. So I I think I think that this might be the most memorable one, right? Okay, okay, fair. Yes. But a better one doesn't necessarily mean it's the most remembered. But a better one, I, I I'm really into uh I think my baby shot me down in Kill Bill. That's the name of the song? Oh yes, Kill Bill Volume One, yes. The way, by, uh, Nancy Sinatra. That that's pretty <laughs> The, that's a good one that's too. pretty close because yeah it's just that one is first of all it's more graphic but it's like the song just it's perfect mm-hmm. the way it starts and something that you know you say a lot of times Tarantino with the lyrics also are included yeah yeah so that one to me is I don't know if if I would say like it's better in the way uh, the sound and the lyrics and, and the mm-hmm. whole cinematography with it but Mr. Lou, man, it's, I think it's going to be always the most memorable one, like iconic. Like people have yep. have like probably copied this and, and, and you know, they've sampled it. Think it like yep. people sample shit from Tarantino and it's not even his songs. It's crazy. It's like, <laughs> yo, this motherfucker right? sampling Tarantino. It's like, yo, that's not even his yeah. song. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> that's how you know you've risen above. That's how you know you've risen above. Yeah. So I also think. You know, our first one, um, Little Green Bag. That's another, I mean, it's not, I mean, if he knows, like, you know, people take a shit on him. <laughs> uh, you just don't, you must not like cinema. Yeah, you must yes. not like cinema. You must not enjoy movies. You cannot like somebody, like, I think we all have that. I, I see you're wearing a Red Sox hat, and, you know, if I'd known you were wearing a Red Sox hat, no. Okay. But you know what I mean? Like, we all have that thing where, like, oh, I hate this one person yes. because they're either very successful and they just rub you the wrong way. For me, I'm a, as a football fan, I'm a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan well before Tom Brady came. I hated him for 20 fucking years. All of a sudden, he's on your team, and you're like, well, shit. And then he wins a Super Bowl for you. You're like, well, Jesus, this guy's not so bad. You know what I mean? It's that kind of mentality where you switch. So I can understand if you're tired of hearing about Tarantino and you just think, oh, God, this guy's overrated or whatever. Fine. I, I can go that you can be Tarantino out. Get it. Perfect. I'm, I'm okay with that. But to not like things in the movies, to not like the things he's able to do, to not enjoy cinema, to not enjoy the fact that this guy is just trying to make a fun fucking movie, to not enjoy like a little green bag and the, how cool it is when they come walking out or how miserable fucking punches yeah. you in the face and then we're going to get in a second, jumps into the next song. 
Or or how it just, you know, we pillage your bang, shot in the face, and then it's Nancy Sinatra, that sweet, yes. slow guitar, almost rockabilly sounding. It's like, how do you hate this yes. stuff? Like, how do you not have joy in your heart I, to I enjoy like this stuff? I feel like you're talking about appreciation. Like, you can not like yeah. someone or something about someone, but you're like, hey, but I have I cannot deny yeah. the talent. I cannot deny what they're creating or what they have done, you know? Yeah, as they say in sports, game respects yeah. game. You know, like, how can you not respect what... How about this? If you don't like his stuff, he's probably helped make stuff or get stuff made that you like because of what he did. People will reference him now, and then you like something, and it's because of what exactly. he did. Exactly, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You see somebody like 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 favorite movie of all time, Boondock Saints, some shit like that, and they're like, "I hate Tarantino." I'm like, okay, bro, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that trailer park version of Pulp Fiction better. Come on, man. <laughs> whatever floats your boat, champ. <laughs> As we said, the song changes midstream in yeah. the theater. Luckily, not on the soundtrack, but in midstream yeah, in the theater, yeah. and takes us to track two, which is Jungle Boogie. By Cool and the Motherfucking Gang. This funk song was recorded by Cool and the Gang in 1973 for their album Wild and Peaceful. It reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and number two on the Billboard Hot Soul Singles chart. This single has sold a million copies to date. And when it switches up and it's get down, get, you're just like, yeah. for, and then the trumpet, I'm just thinking about it now. It makes me excited. Like it's like it's such a great moment. And then we get obviously two of the coolest motherfuckers to ever step on screen yes. with Samuel Jackson and John Travolta, who. It's so odd to think that people live in a time where they are, well, John's kind of falling off the rails, but we're cool. Like, you and I watched the movie, Samuel Jackson's still really a nobody, and John Travolta, we remember from Grease and old movies yeah. that we were told about and saw, and he's in, look who's talking. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's in a movie about babies yeah. talking, and he's having to be this pilot. He's barely in the films, yes, you know? Yes. And all of a sudden, here's these two dudes, look cool as fuck, and you're like, what is about to happen? And then we start talking about fucking Big Macs and... God, I want I want to fight people saying they don't they don't having a good time at Paul Fitz. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's, it's a really it's it changed the game, man. Like again, yes, these are people who are about to commit a crime, but they're not talking about the crime. No, yes, and every other movie, like, look, I love Goodfellas, but Goodfellas for the most part, he's either telling about his criminal life yeah. or they're talking yeah. about the crime. Yeah. Like over here, there whether it's Reservoir Dogs, you have great moments like that, and here it's like. They're like talking about burgers, like that part when he yeah. goes, you know what? Well, you know what they put on fries and over there, and uh, when he says mayonnaise and uh, Samuel Jackson's reaction, like, ah, this shit trust me. I hate mayonnaise. Yeah, I hate mayonnaise. So I think that may be why. A real moment between two friends, like God. Yep. And, and Travolta's just laughing. He yeah. goes, "Yeah, I seen they drowned him in that shit." Yeah. <laughs> it was so real to me. Like, what a great moment, and that's how it starts. Like, you're like. What am I gonna watch? Like, what is you when you watch a Tarantino film? Unless you are a fucking, you know, you're part of the church. I feel like when you start watching, you you, you don't know where the movie. Like, what is the setting of this film? You don't know what the fuck. Even now, I still <laughs> am always blown away. Well, you know, yeah, that's true because I went into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood thinking he was gonna do a retelling of the Manson murders, and no idea what I was getting into. True, and, true. You know. That's why I go. That's why I go. That's why I think people are fans of Tarantino. Yeah. It's not all the stuff that's out there in the ether that people know about him or they talk about him. It's when you go, you it's like getting on a ride for the first time. You don't know yeah. like this new amusement ride's opening up at Six Flags. And you're like, yeah. well, let's check it out. You know what I mean? You don't know what twists and turns are coming. I think that this opening scene with these two songs on the soundtrack 
show that because we open up with Misery Lou after we had these two people talking about how robbing liquor stores isn't isn't a smart idea anymore. Let's rob this yeah. place. It's like out of the blue, we're going to do this. And they jump up and this sweet lady who we think is sweet suddenly turns into a fucking psychopath. Not to mention, we don't see her for hours. I know. <laughs> I mean, you forget about him. You get this hard rocking surf music. And then the next thing you know, we got the two coolest motherfuckers on the planet sitting in the car talking about burgers in Amsterdam. Yeah. We don't even know where they're driving to. They could be going to get burgers yeah. for all we know. And we got cool in the fucking gang. Yeah. And what a oh, what a great fucking what a great fucking song. yeah just the way, the way it blends in like like it does, it's not even about it blending in but it's like you said he did this random mix it's like it makes you feel like man I listen to all kinds of music this is how I am you know it absolutely opened my mind up to more of the seventies funk and R and B sound you know it really did because we're gonna there's more songs coming up that are, I mean this thing goes all over the place this seed this this soundtrack hits everything surf music. Funk yeah. music, R and B and soul, country western, like it's just all over the goddamn place, and it all fucking fits. Yes. And Jungle Boogie, when it kicks in, it's like the first time someone probably put peanut butter and jelly together. <laughs> They're like, "Let's try this," and it worked. You're like, "Peanut butter <laughs> and jelly? Like, what are you a fucking <laughs> psychopath?" And then you're like, "This is fucking fantastic." Like I said, if someone said, "Hey, let's listen to some surf music right into some '70s yes. funk," you'd be like, "What?" Are talking about i don't even want to be your friend anymore you know so but it fucking works you're crazy you man. know you're crazy yeah well you get the fuck out of here it's the fucking matter with you over there fucking hammers it hammers it. yeah absolutely loved it i agree however it does take us to track three and there are two songs on this soundtrack that happened in the film it's weird i knew i was gonna love the film but the music is a huge part of it like anyone who says it's not doesn't know what they're talking about. Music in a film can really, I mean, it just can envelop you even further. You know, the two are married together. You can't have one without the other, in my opinion. Especially now that we sent, you know, maybe maybe back then when they're playing the piano, and you read the words and they're running across the screen and silent pictures, maybe. But the third track, Let's Stay Together by Al Green. This song was recorded by Al Green in 1971 for his album of the same name. It reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and remained on the charts for 16 weeks. It also reached number one on Billboard's R&B chart, where it held the top spot for nine weeks. It was ranked the 60th greatest song of all time by Rolling Stone magazine in 2004. The song has been covered over 40 times and has also been featured in the films Higher Learning, Down to You, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, Jersey Girl, Hellboy, Munich, and Hope Springs. When I heard that playing in Marcellus's strip club, while he's talking to Butch about throwing his upcoming fight. Yeah. It is one of the coolest fucking tracks. And Al Green's voice. I'd never heard Al Green. Or how about this? If my parents listened to it, because my father was in radio. I'm not sure if I told you that or not. I'm lucky in the sense that I got a very wide breadth of music knowledge because of him working at different stations with different formats. Mm-hmm. So I'm very lucky as a kid to have grown up with a parent who was in radio. Because I feel like, you know, now I have a, you know, I have a very eclectic music taste. And I, we may have listened to, because my parents were big temptations. They were big fans of Motown, Motown okay. music. So I'm sure we listened to some Al Green. But as a kid, I, you know, I don't know that I remember hearing it. But when I heard Al <laughs> Green's voice singing, Let's Stay Together. I was like, this, damn, this, I was like, this, this is a smooth kid. Yeah. Right like, I'm like, oh, I'm like, I got to play this for the ladies. Yeah. Like, they don't even make this music anymore. There's it's, no one out there making Al Green music right and now. And you know they call him the Reverend like you. They call him the Reverend just like you, man. Oh, well, he deserves, he is a, oh, his, it's so smooth. And you're just like, damn. Like, he made me want to stay together with him. I was like, you know what, Al? We're staying together. Like, I, you're, and goddamn right, I'm staying with you. you. Smooth voice. But when it's playing, and again, 
the choice. Who do we meet? We meet Marcellus Wallace. Smooth, tough dude, you know? Like, yeah. it's the perfect combination of the song. And it's so weird that he's giving this guy... <laughs> Career advice about they don't have boxers don't have an old time yeah. today. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. and yet we got this smooth like love song yeah. going on in the background. It's just I don't know. I don't know why it works, but it fucking works. A hard when you heard that song playing. Mm-hmm. When you heard that fucking song, was that your pride fucking with you? Mm-hmm. Or did you? How'd you feel about this song? Listening to um, let's say together there is something that I think Tarantino also shed light on, like the fact that. It fits even though it had nothing to do with what was going on, right? Like, it's the music. Yes. How he's mm-hmm. able to have a song as background music. Like, well, it doesn't start out as background, but it turns into Mm-mm. it. But it just, it's just perfect how it sounds. Like, you were talking about this, the how smooth. Also, um, Ving Rhames, when he's talking, Marcellus, over the music. Like you said, how does it work? I don't know. But it, it also helped me, like, when I listen to music to write stuff, like, yeah, it doesn't always have to do with what I'm writing. It's the music that moves me, you know? And I think that's what happened there. Mm-hmm. Whatever happened, Tarantino might have been writing something, heard this, this music, and he was like, I can write to this. And he used it. Because it's just yeah. the way that the scene starts off with the title uh, card. Yeah. Dun, 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 you know, whatever. And it's just perfect, yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I love listening to it on the soundtrack. I love when it comes up on the 70s channel yeah. on Sirius XM or on one of the R&B channels. Like, I will not turn this song <laughs> ever. It is just beautiful. It's those needle drops. Like, he had great ones, as we talked about in the Reservoir Dogs ones. For Reservoir Dogs, for me, he had the, the great needle drops yeah. were great. The, you know, the some of them were just background music. Yes, and I yes. don't know if there's a lot of the background music as much on this one as there was in Reservoir Dogs. I feel like a lot of the songs on this were put to the forefront on purpose. You know, yes. they weren't just, oh, playing in the background to help move the story along. And this could have easily have been just like in Reservoir Dogs where they do the um, the cover of uh, Magic Carpet Ride uh-huh. while they're, you know, the, Mr. Orange is finishing up his commode story when he meets with him. It could have easily just been one of those, oh, it's just some throwaway song yeah. in the background. But it's not. Like, he picked Al Green's Let's Stay Together for a reason. Yeah. And it does set a tone. It yes. sets a mood. It just lets you know, this is... <laughs> This is a cool ass motherfucker movie. You know yeah, what I mean? like, it, 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 like, like the bad motherfucker thing is like it may be a wallet, but I think he was also saying, "I'm a bad motherfucker." Yeah. Like I know my shit. Enjoy this yeah. motherfucking music, motherfuckers. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, because it's all it's like three very different types of music that we're getting, and it's already setting like so many different tones. I guess. Yes. Like, like you don't is. know what you're in for. Yeah. And if you don't like the first three songs. Go fuck yourself, all right? Because, hey, what are you doing here? Come on. These first three songs, it's like gold. Like, boom, boom, boom. (laughs) It does lead us to the fourth song on the track, which, again, we go surfboard music. Bustin' Surfboards by the Tornadoes. The song was recorded and released by the band in 1962. They were the second band to receive national airplay with a surf instrumental song. Its appearance in Pulp Fiction and the soundtrack renewed interest in the band and allowed them to stay active until 2007. Now, this plays... While Jody monologues about her body piercings. And once again, once again, right? If you listen to this song by itself, yes. you may not enjoy it as much on the soundtrack, right? But if you know the movie, you know the moment. And it's, you kind of get sucked into the song because you know the moment. It's two hippie white girls talking about body piercing. The song fucking fits, right? Yeah. Like, like you've got a cool black dude talking about old timers day. And we've yeah. got this cool yeah. ass song from Al Green. Some sweet R&B from the 70s playing. And you're like... 
Yep, that fits. And then these, and this starts playing. You're like, no, this absolutely fits. Like, I feel like if we're in white suburbia in California with two hippie girls in the '90s, this surfboard music totally fits with it. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, definitely does. <laughs> yeah, just thinking about yes. the scene. You know, she's talking about man and the thing, the thing that every, every boy that she has a, a piercing on, and then you hear this music that uh, on the background, and it's like you said, it does fit. Um, and, and with this song. To be honest, when, when I when I would listen to this, um, I used to listen to Pandora a lot more before, and I would put one of these songs on there, and then I would get all these like surfboard style, and I'm right? Like, Yo, if exactly, if right? They don't exactly. Find Pulp Fiction, get out my fucking list. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm not shooting heroin, putting a needle through my clit, or <laughs> robbing a, like, uh, <laughs> a Denny's, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> No, for real. And, and it really does set a tone for me to appreciate, like, music that I can chill out to. There's so many different things about this music that I can enjoy. Like, you know, Mr. Lou, you know, it, like, hype you up and shit, you know? Yeah. And then you have Jungle Boogie. Hey, I want to dance. And let's stay together. It's, hey. And then the, it's just a bunch of different moods to the, to the music. But what I like about what you're saying there is that definitely what yes. he does seems to fit every single time. You have people talking about who the fuck, like, I'm sure some of these surfboard people are like, really? I don't want my fucking song playing to people talking about their clit. But guess what? It works for us, motherfucker. Yes. Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> now we know about you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you're, a, if there's the a Lord band out there who here. doesn't want him to use their fucking music, they're fucking morons because the tornadoes, who, who the fuck are the tornadoes? Hey. Some band from the 60s? No one fucking yeah. knows about them. Some surf band outside of California, but guess what? Oh, it's that song where that girl's talking about shooting, using a gun and a pierce and a clit. And all. It's like, yeah, that's the Can one. Can you imagine if Spotify was in the oh. 90s? What Tarantino would have done <laughs> for these know. people? I know. <laughs> got, got, got him on billboards and shit. I don't know. But he also uses his music as, you know, I probably knew this, but I've, now that I do the podcast, I really, it starts to open my eyes to it. But a lot of this is just even almost like theme music for the characters. Wow. You know, like Miserlou gets us every information we need to know about Honey Bunny and Pumpkin. We kick in a jungle boogie. Oh, okay, we got two smooth, mm. badass motherfuckers right here in black suits and ties, which the last time we saw that, they were gangsters. So we're like, these gotta be gangsters. Mm. We move into, you know, Al Green, who's a smooth motherfucker. Oh, shit. Which we don't realize, but so might be uh, Butch. You know <laughs> what I mean? We got Butch and Marcellus. Yeah. Busting surfboards. We're talking about these two hippie chicks. You know, it's like he introduces us to these parts without us realizing that these are also these people's like soundtrack. Mm. They're also their character who this, this music is who they are, you know, it represents them as well. So busting surfboards as interesting of a song as it is and great as it works, it works so brilliantly in the moment in this scene. I like You're that, like, man. Fuck. I like that. It's like their intro song. Because it comes right after, literally comes right, almost right after what we've just had with the Marcellus Wallace moment. Yeah. You know, because he calls he calls him over and then Bruce Willis's character looking at him and he's smoking, he gets the, you know, and then that's how that ends and then all of a sudden we go, to, we fade to black and then we get this bus and surfboards and these two girls are talking about piercing and then all of a sudden we realize fucking Vince is there. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's sitting there like smoking a cigarette like, <laughs> then you got how many, he sees, he's all fr frazzled by what's happening with this up. I do love though. <laughs> I do love to go. Which one's that? The one with all the shit in her face? In her <laughs> no, that that's my wife. Oh, he realizes there's no coming back yeah, from that. He yeah, like, he, he, he like, man, I just insulted your wife. Okay. 
<laughs> oh, it's, it's just genius, though, right? It's just, it's just fucking genius. <laughs> it leads us to our fifth track, which, again, a song that I'm sure my parents knew when they were younger, because this came out around the time they were younger. Mm -hmm. But without, I never would have known this song in a, a million years. If this song was not on the Pulp Fiction soundtrack in the movie, I would never. You'd be like, do you know this song? I'm like, fuck, are you talking about? But it's Lonesome Town by Ricky Nelson. This song was written by Baker Knight and became a radio hit for Ricky Nelson in 1958, reaching number 7 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and number 15 on the R&B chart. The song was also used in an episode of NBC's TV series Heroes, Netflix's The End of the Fucking World, and Hulu's Castle Rock. This plays over the speakers at Jack Rabbit yes. Slims while Vincent and Mira are talking. When they're talking, okay, yes. Well, yeah, when they finally sat down yes. and, you know, uh, I think the one guy's pretending to be... Shit. Or James Dean? Because when they first walk in, the one... Well, there's the James Dean character, but there's one guy sitting up there playing... Uh, Maybe he is Ricky now. Actually, oh. it actually might be Ricky Nelson. Isn't he playing Ricky? I forget who it is. Man, that's bad how my age is. Uh -huh. I can see him. I see him playing. And then the guy goes, he'll be back later yeah, in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. But the song is Lonesome Town. And it's about being lonely. And you've got Vincent and Mia sitting there. And they quietly talk. And then that's when they have that uncomfortable silence yeah. moment. This and that. And it's weird because Vincent is lonesome. And he's trying not to get sucked into the web Mia of Wallace. danger by the femme fatale Mia Wallace, yes. who for reasons we, well, I mean, again, it's part of the movie, but for reasons we can't understand, maybe, and I had this conversation when we talked about Pulp Fiction last year, maybe her and Marcellus aren't, you know, I mean, throughout this movie, her and Marcellus are not the most loving of couples. We don't get, we get the feeling that they've been in this relationship for a while. Yes. You yes. know, so they're in a comfortable, you know, but there's something, something interesting to her about Vincent. And obviously Vincent is fucking sucked in tractor beam style by her but the fact that lonesome town is playing in the background and it's very kind of like almost a sad somber like yeah. bluesy song he got broken up with it's almost like it's like vincent's solo you know how he's feeling track and it's not just there it's just not a, like i said it's not a throwaway song by any mm -hmm. stretch of the imagination it's there in intentionally for that to be playing in the background it's just the right amount of music what was your thoughts when you when you heard it or that you finally realized who the hell it was and you're like the oh, fuck is Ricky Nelson? Oh, didn't really know. I still don't really know who Ricky Nelson is, but you know, I've I've um, listened to the soundtrack plenty. But I, I enjoyed that again because when you start when you mentioned the title, I was like, damn, yeah. The fact that the song is playing at Jack Rabbit Slims, yep. is like you wouldn't expect it going in there because when we when we get in there, there's there's something else playing. And it's more, yeah, it's rock. Yeah, it's it's a rockabilly too. Yeah, it's... and again, he does this thing where he changes to something completely unexpected and fits again. Because while they're talking, you hear this in the background. But I like your take saying, like, this could be the point of view from, or, you know, from uh, Vincent. The song for him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is his song where it's like his, right? She could be lonesome too if they've been having Yeah, their, oh, yeah. You know? oh, I, I, that's yeah. what I'm saying, yeah. If, if they have had, because they don't show them interacting in any romantic way throughout the whole film, you know? No. So it could be, it could be that they're both lonesome and this song is for both of them. Yeah. Because... Based on how the movie goes, I know this is not about the movie, but based on how the scene goes with them or their story uh, and the title yeah. card, a lot more could have happened. Yes. <laughs> yes. A lot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Both ways. It could have gone. I mean, it could have gone Because bad. he was, he so was trying ways. hard yeah. for something not to yeah. happen, and she yeah. was not trying hard at all. <laughs> now, I don't know if it's because we're talking about it and I'm thinking about it, but I know I vividly can hear him saying Lonesome Town while they're talking. I know I hear him sing Lonesome Town. But 
I feel like that's the only words I remember hearing in the song in the movie, as if it's like intentionally, like intentionally finds the moments where they stop talking. However, that could just be my memory making effect. that up. Because, yeah, exactly. It's my Mandela. Like I'm making it up mm. in my head. It's like, mm. no, I think that's how it happened. I know I've heard, I know I hear Lonesome Town mm. at least once sung perfectly mm. as you're sitting there, whether there's a pause and they're talking or not. So I'm going to have to go watch it later on so I can now <laughs> remember if it's like actually happening or if it's in my yeah, mind. I want to check that out too. <laughs> now, song six. And since I asked you questions, you don't have to answer them now, but this is my favorite needle drop in the film. And it's the opening part of the song. Song six is Son of a Preacher Man by Dusty Springfield. This is a song written by John Hurley and Ronnie Wilkins and recorded by Dusty Springfield in 1968. The single reached number nine on the UK singles chart and number 10 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in 1969. Due to being on this soundtrack, the song was re-released and reached number one in Iceland in 1995. Tarantino said on the collector's edition of the DVD that he probably wouldn't have filmed the scene in which the song was featured if he had not been able to use the song. It's how Vincent walks up to the door of Mia Wallace, reads it, and then once the door opens, it every time it does it for me. I don't know why it did it for me the first time I saw it in the theater. The minute that beat hit, I knew I was owning the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. It was that moment that her voice and the song. And the moment, and I know we get the meme now of the confused Travolta yeah, turning yeah, around. Yeah. You know I mean? Everything about it, I love this song. It's one of my favorites. I will never turn it. Whenever I hear it, I just like with the Al Green, I absolutely love it. Like it's ingrained in my DNA now. It's a part of me. That moment is always a part of me. It may be, and again, I, I, obviously this we're talking about Pulp Fiction, so yeah, I'm in the moment. But it may be my favorite needle drop wow. of his ever. Just sitting in the theater, door opens, and the music cue just did it for me. I was like, this is mastery. And I had never figured it out before, but it was that moment. I was like, from this moment on, this is the bar to which all movies now must have in order to open a scene like this. And so that's how it felt for me. How about for you when the first time you got to see this with Son of a Preacher Man? All right. So um, you, you spoke about how a lot of these songs are introduction to characters. Yes. Now, I, I'll be honest. I didn't look at it. For all the, the soundtrack, but I always looked at it as the introduction to Mia Wallace, right? Yes. And I felt like it was, like you said, it was masterful. I, I enjoyed it because I was like, wow, we don't see her face. I knew who the fuck she She's on the goddamn motherfucking picture. That, you know. I know. We knew, we knew what she was going to be, but, but it we was, didn't know until we saw her. It's just beautiful that you only see her her lips talking and the way it's done, everything. Just I, I enjoyed the whole thing about it. And knowing how, basically, this is a scene that he wrote to this song, right? And, if, and yeah. it just became part of this. That's something like, you know, I, I, I write, I'm not a whatever. I don't write a lot of shit, but I do like to write and I do write to music. That's the only thing I do. I write to music. So that kind of just inspired me to be like, man, this is just beautiful how he didn't know what this was going to be. And, he, and it was born out of him listening to this song that he loved. And, yeah. and, and, and we connected to that because look at how you describe it. So you connected to the feeling that he put into that scene in such a way that it's your favorite fucking needle drop. Yeah. And for me, like this, the, the way he did that whole scene is it's one of my favorite uh, introductions to a character in his in his universe because, and it doesn't mean that it's the best, but it's one of my favorite because of the way it's done. Because obviously, I'm not gonna say like this was a better introduction than fucking Hans Landa. You know what I'm saying? Like. <laughs> That's the motherfucker, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, it's just, but it's just beautifully done. But it's almost as dangerous. Hey, <laughs> no, I mean, look at uh, with Kill Bill. Kill Bill, we don't, we know what he looks like, but he still yes. plays with us, and he still yes. honors the power of the character. Hey, you're not gonna yes. see this person's face, mm-hmm. and then with her, 
he respects the character. I know you guys know who Uma Thurman is, and I know you know what she looks like, but he is honoring his characters throughout. Because well, he gave us a mythology that touching her feet was such an offensive thing to do. Marcel Swallows threw a dude off a yeah. fucking building for that. Yeah. And how do we? How does she eventually meet when she first says hello to Vincent? What do we see? Yeah. Her motherfucking feet. You know. Yeah. So that was only the beginning. <laughs> I know. And then just even the way the song goes, like you know, the only one who got it was the son of a preacher man, and it's almost like the only guy who kind of gets Mia might be yeah. Vincent yeah. Vega. Yeah. You know, like like there's yeah. there's some contextual you could you could lean towards. You could lean a little bit that that. That's after, what it is, you know? I, I, I'll admit as well that after listening to your podcast, to after becoming a you know faithful member of the church, I uh, <laughs> I got to say that that's when I started. Your monthly dues are due, though, by the way. Just kidding. <laughs> Just, kidding. <laughs> Just, kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. There's a connection problem, sir. That's when I started thinking about, not that I never think about lyrics. Lyrics are important to me. However, it was after listening to your other episodes when I was like, damn, man, you know, son of a preacher, man, could be more connected to the scene that I know. It might mm-hmm. not just be like something like let's stay together. It could be that, you know, the the only one yeah. who could ever reach me. And I did think mm-hmm. about that, but I thought about it for this episode, I'll be honest. <laughs> it's the smooth talking son of a preacher man, yeah. you know? And like she is she is all in on his conversation yeah. when he's talking to her. She's en- enamored with the way he rolls his cigarettes. Yeah. Like he's he's different than Marcellus, you know? Marcellus has got more power, but there's something about Vincent that just gets her. That just resonates with her and it's this song the song is it like she is voyeuristically watching when he first comes in anyways to see you know see what he's like you know she's doing that woman thing of like she is watching and judging him immediately (laughs) figuring it out you know sizing him up instantly we're like you know as men we size of women based on looks and body and this and that at first and then you know obviously then we move from there yeah i don't think women do the same women are more about checking out how we carry ourselves What, what kind of demeanor do we have what you know how do we dress what do we look like you know we don't have features that Stick out, uh, you know. That, that's the that's the most play I can say. We just don't, you know. We don't have a immediate fear that's like, oh, look at that. It's more about how we carry ourselves yes, that's yeah. important. And she's watching that in Vincent. And then I'm just like you said, like if you listen to the song, I'm just telling you the lyrics sometimes are giving you clues yeah. and hints more than you realize. Yes. You know, it's not just great music, which it is. Yeah. But it's well thought out music. And like you said, if he he wrote it to this, so he was thinking about this. This song informed the scene for him and helped him move the scene forward. It may have helped him move it further throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, and the story, yeah. I have a little more sentimental connection to the song, too, only because my mom, she used to play Sinbad for us, the uh, the stand-up comedian. And, of course, you yeah, know, yeah. it's a clean comedian, so he had the special yeah. Son of a Preacher Man, and the song would play. So I like I had two reasons why I loved the song, the Tarantino movie, but also that because like I'm a big Sinbad fan just because that's the only comedian we were allowed to watch <laughs> when we were kids. <laughs> oh, yeah, go hey. ahead. <laughs> All it takes is a touchstone, right? It just yeah. takes that one thing to hook inside you and you're hooked on whatever it might be forever yeah. because it's important to you. True. Now, track seven. This song is Bowling Apart to Other Centurions. This plays while Mr. Vincent Vega shoots up heroin and then drives to Mia. Yeah. The Centurions were an instrumental surf rock band started by Dennis Rose in the late 50s. They are best known for this song that was featured in Pulp Fiction. The success of the film and the soundtrack prompted the band to reform in 1995 and even put out a new album entitled Bullwinkle Part 3. This song was also featured on an episode of How I Met Your Mother. Many people have said, I may have mentioned this on the podcast. It's been almost a year, folks, so I apologize. I'm also a year older and I'm closing in on 50, so (laughs) sometimes some things get a little lost up in the (laughs) end. But this is a sex scene. This is a sex scene. This is Vincent Vega 
making love or being made love to by heroin. Wow. The way it's shot is beautifully shot. It's lit. Like yeah. it's not shot like, you know, some dingy like he's slapping his arm and he's tying. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. it's a sensual fucking drug shoot up scene. It's beautifully shot. The lighting's amazing. And this song is just perfect. And when he's just driving yeah. in that car and just high and just feeling yeah, good. Like yeah. you're just like it's the most pro heroin <laughs> use video you'll ever have. <laughs> like, you gotta be careful. You almost get seduced into doing heroin because you're like, Tarantino. He sets you up for it. You're like, damn, heroin is a sexy fucking yeah. drug. And then me overdoses on it. And you're like, nope, 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 it's not. My bad. <laughs> he set me up. Nope. But yes. It's one of those songs that, and that great saxophone in it. It takes me there. As soon as I hear it, it takes me to, like, I just picture, you know, <laughs> it picture yeah. Travolta in the Smooth car. Smooth driving, yeah. Yeah, this one definitely takes me there because in a, in a way it still fits. You cannot hear this song without picturing this. Um, For me, it works. And when I listen to it, I just think of, how smooth it is. And I love the, the analogy that you made there because damn, yo, when you put it like that, I, I saw everything. It's crazy how, I don't know if it's because I like the film so much, but I, I know that I'm not just picturing it because you're saying it. I went there mm -hmm. because I, yeah. it, the, the, the connection between that song and the film was so good. Beautiful. Yeah. The way he shot it, the way you're unzipping the case, you're pulling it out. The needle goes in slow. Pull, you know what I mean? It's all there. Even when it goes in his arm and the blood comes in before he shoots it all, yeah. even the way he just mixes, it's beautiful. I know you shouldn't. You should not, you know, we shouldn't be romanticizing shooting up a heroin. But that moment with this song and the way they filmed it, it is just perfect. Name another drug scene that even does it. Most drug stuff, like, you know, you watch, it's horrific. Yeah, like, yeah, that's <laughs> fucked like, up, bro. That's yeah, fucked up. it's like nothing God. good about it. Yeah, but this one, you're just like, wow. Yeah, yeah, her little heart eyes. Hats <laughs> off to him. Hats off to him. What an amazing... And the song, like, again, it works. It works beautifully. Just the way that boom, 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 boom. Just the way the uh, bass yeah. comes in, and it's just a cool, slow surf There's song, a, like, like you said. slow in everything, every movement, even when he's driving, it's like, to the, to the slow Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's that slow surf song. It's almost like he's riding back on the wave. He makes it look cool, like you should. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, later on, hey, why you, we get the how real. How come yeah. you ain't doing heroin yet? <laughs> you know, know what I'm saying? Right? <laughs> It could have froze right there. It just been like some kind of pro heroin. <laughs> have you tried heroin today? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, Chappelle probably would have done a, a commercial to that with that with that scene. <laughs> yeah, and then it just quickly cuts to her being, and this is why you don't do it. Like it's like a, it throws you. <laughs> it's like this smooth transition of moods to. It brings us up on the highs when we need to and brings us down to the cool moments to then set us up for the next moment. Yeah. Like, we're, we're, we're going for a ride. Because when we get to song number eight, we're just like going for We're like, oh, shit. Here we go. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, danger. You know, it's like the wheels have come off the track. Yo, I, I got to say, Reverend, if you were on YouTube, somebody would have put a clip. <laughs> if you were, like, super uh, running for office, or would you say, yeah. like, that overdose, though. What a beautiful fucking moment. Look, I'm sorry, it is. It, you know, he shot a beautiful moment. Of, but I also did preface that 30 minutes later or so, we get the horror of what heroin really does. The horror. I think Vincent stopped shooting heroin. I mean, he gets killed later on. But I think that moment later on we'll get to, I think he stopped shooting heroin. He's like, this was the worst fucking night ever. It goes from, he had a great trip to the worst trip ever. It's Yo, a, for real, yeah. It reminds you just like Rick James. Like, okay. It's a hell of a drug. Like, everyone's a hell of a oh, drug. Yeah, Vincent Vega. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it leads us to track number eight. 
And for all of you non-knowing about John Travolta and his past, the man's a singer and a dancer. And man, he shakes his ass like crazy <laughs> in a lot of his movies in the 70s. He's great in Greece. Yeah. Saturday Night Fever. The man can dance. And so when Mia Wallace says, hey, we're doing a twist contest, you're like, oh no, what are we going to do here? Like For the person who knows about it, I was like, oh, is this going to get cheesy? But song eight, you think a twist contest. It's going to be Chubby Checker, right? Nope. Tarantino says, oh no, friends. No, no, no. We're not going to do a twist contest to a twist song. We're doing it to Chuck Berry's You Never Can Tell. This song was written by Chuck Berry in the early 60s while Berry was in federal prison for violating the Mann Act. It was released in 1964 on the St. Louis to Liverpool album where it reached number 14 on the Billboard chart. The song has also been featured on the show The Big Bang Theory and in the video game Just Dance 2016. What a fucking genius move. Yes. What a genius move, right? Like, what a genius move. There they are doing it and, you know, when they said the twist contest, I think, oh, it's got to be Chubby Checkers. <laughs> Do the twist. Nope. They just a beautiful Chuck Berry song that I'd never heard before. And the lyrics. Did truly love the Madame Moselle. <laughs> the stuff in there. Like the man picked it for a reason. Yeah. They're getting closer. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like it's, uh-oh. Dancing is a very intimate thing to do. You know, like, and d- dancing, especially to a contest, like that's crazy. That For the first time you met somebody? I don't know. It's There's just a lot of poetry in the song. And when you listen to it, that when you first watch it, you're not paying attention to it. I don't expect anyone to be like, no, I noticed that the minute I heard it. No. Yeah, yeah. It's over time. Once you've watched the movie enough times and you start to watch it, and now you're taking it in, and you you, you know how it's going to go. So you start to see the movie in a different way. Yes. When you start to listen to it and you listen to the lyrics, you start going, oh, man. This is kind of like their courting song. Like, like this is their first date. Like, it's like when he says in the in the hallway. I'm, you know, it's, it's like when you take your buddy's wife out to the movie. <laughs> yes, yeah, definitely not a date. It's a fucking date at this moment. Like, it's turning into a date at this moment, and it gets you know because at the end, obviously, we fast cut to the her house and they won the trophy. And, you yeah. know, and he dips. And like, that, like, yeah, that moment was, for me was <laughs> yep. like yo. Yep. That was, uh uh-oh. I was thinking, Uh the crazy thing, I was like, yo, there's cameras, motherfucker. (laughs) I know. I know. You're like, this dude's going to fuck Marcellus Foss's wife in his own bed. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. That dip moment is set up because of this song and this dance. And I love it. Can you hear this song and not think about twisting? No, because first of all, I heard it for the first time. With this film, and I listened to it because of this film. <laughs> I can just anything that I tell you after this is going to be because of this film. You know, like that's how it is. Yeah, I think I've heard this conversation before. Like, oh, people expected something because of Travolta dancing that it was going to be something forced, but it wasn't. It was just it was a great scene. It became an, an iconic scene. Yes, you know, you're like, oh shit, yeah, okay, Travolta's in a movie. He's got to dance, and I love how even his character's like, no, 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 I don't want to do yeah. this. And then he goes up there. Yeah. Maybe it was just the way that he played the character. Yeah, because he was, he was more, almost like concentrating on the dance moves. You know what I mean? He was, he was smooth, almost yeah. like he was more out yeah. there. He was he was smooth, and then the iconic, you know, the the finger across the face. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. He's doing the Batman, and even yeah. the way he twists, just the coolness of like like he's just being a cool yes. dude about. He's very smooth with it. It almost seems, I mean. I like to dance a lot. So it almost seems like he's going more with the actual rhythm of the song as he's just like fucking going all over the place. Yeah. But it, it fits because maybe it's it's uh, specific to each character. Yes. You know? So yeah. I like She's that. a little more wild yeah. and open. He's a little more closed off and reserved. Yeah. But again, first time I yeah. saw it, I thought, oh, no. You know, I was like, oh, we've got Travolta's in a movie. He's got to dance. Because at the yeah. time, like I said, this is what he's known for. He's known for his dancing from the 70s films. He's known for this. 
And he's good. I mean, he's a great dancer. I'm not going to tell you he's not. You sit there in the theater and go, oh, shit. But this song plays. They start dancing. And like I said, that's it. Yeah. That's it. It's, it's iconic from that moment. And you're yeah. just like, fuck, he pulled it off. It wasn't too much either. It wasn't too much No. Either. It adds perfectly to his catalog of being able to dance in a film. It adds beautifully. You know, and it's just the way they both dance. And give Uma Thurman great credit because she was a great scene yes. partner in that in that part. Yeah. If she was goofy and looked terrible, you'd be like, "This is awful." But she was in there. With yeah, her. that's her character. You could tell she was like, "I want to dance. I want to win." And you saw it. And you saw it. Like I, one of my favorite parts is when she's doing the thing with, with her hand because it's like so like yeah. it, it almost looked like old seventies like the way she's just doing her dances. It was great. It's a great <laughs> moment in the film. Definitely, it definitely is. She, uh, you know. Uh, this is not about the dancing, but something that I like about Uma Thurman is how she would talk when she was smoking. She would look like, I don't know, like just like a, like a kid that's just having fun talking to somebody yes. in a date. You know, I really enjoyed how, yeah. how she did that. You know? Their comfortability grows in that scene yeah. until they get to dance. Yes. Which to me was surprising that because it's right after he brings up uh, the, the Rocky, I forget the, the Rocky left, Horror. Yeah, Rocky yeah. Horror. <laughs> yeah. Brings that up and she's like, when you guys get together, it's worse than a sewing circle. And then after that, the dancing happened. Like, I feel like yeah. oof, the fact that she was still willing to do that because in real life, it would have been like, yeah, we ain't fucking dancing. Night's over, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I, I I like that that happened. <laughs> but it's also the build of that scene, you yeah. know. We we go from son of a preacher man. We get we we come in. They've got that rockabilly song. Then it's Lonesome Town. The next thing you know, we're doing a twist. Yes. We're doing Chuck Berry. We're yeah. doing a, a '60s rock number. Yeah. The level of change in sounds and you know uh, genres is unbelievable. And but it fits. It doesn't. You're not going to go to see Boys in the Hood and expect and hear surf music and be like that worked. You know what I mean? You know what you're going for, right? And vice versa, other movies like you're not seeing Easy Rider and expecting to hear Cool in the Gang or any of that. But yet somehow he's able to take genres that don't seem like they're going to go together, yes. mix them together, and you're just like, wow, that really fucking like yes. This, this and it's like a movie works. within a movie with these stories. It's it's amazing. Yeah. It really worked well, man. When when he puts these different sounds together. It is showing the different stages of each story in a way some, at some point, right? Like you, you call it the build-up, yeah. the courting song. That's, that's great. I like that, man. Well, it lands us on track nine. Oof. Lands us in a moment where when you first see it, you don't know what's about to happen. Yeah. You don't know where this is going to go. And this, again, is the genius of what this movie is. But it's Urge Overkill's Girl You'll be a woman soon. This song is a Neil Diamond cover that was originally released in 1967. After being featured on the soundtrack, their version of the song reached number 59 on the Billboard Hot 100 chart and helped launch the band into the mainstream market of the 1990s. She starts it up on the reel to reel and she's playing it, you know, and then when it kicks in and she starts going crazy. Yeah. She's in the living room dancing, singing to this song. She's in good spirits. Vincent's going off to use the bass. He's got to take a piss. Yeah. Right? He's in there a long time. We, I think I talked to this on the episode. He's in the bathroom a long time. And anytime he goes to the bathroom in Pulp Fiction, bad things happen. They always yes. happen. Bad things happen. All three times he goes into the bathroom, bad things happen. But he goes into the bathroom. I just love You're just going to go home, jerk off. That's all you're going to yeah. do. <laughs> he must have kept going after that because, damn. <laughs> he, must, he must have jerked off in there. Whatever, he, you know. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. he has talked himself down because, you know, they come in, dance, and she pushes the button and he dips her. And then there's that 
moment of like first time you see it, you go, and every time I've seen it, it's like, are they gonna kiss? Like it's like, oh, yeah. are they about to, yes. they about to kiss? Yes. And then she goes, I don't know what you call that. They both know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Drinks. Ladies, ladies <laughs> like to be slick, but they're not slick. We all we know too. We're, I mean, we may have a better poker face than us, but we also know too. We're not fucking all that dumb. All right, we know. Everyone knows that she wants a little of Johnny's D, and he wants to give it to her, and they are both playing with really, really yeah. hot fire at that moment. Like, there yeah. is a real chance that two people are going to be dead. Or at least one's going to be dead. I think she asked for the drinks for that reason. Yeah. To make it easier. Might have. <laughs> uh, drinks, music. Yeah, there might have been. Like, at that moment, obviously, I think that she was sober enough to be like, no, this is wrong. I'm going to feel guilty. And then she's like, drinks. <laughs> yes. Okay. There's no doubt in my mind that she would have had to bend. I don't think Vincent would have moved forward. She would have had to make yes. moves. And I don't think Vincent would have said no. Yes. I don't think he could have controlled yeah. himself. Being thrown off a building. Well, look, when, when he's psyching himself down, first he says, you're going to go out there, you're going to have a drink. When he finally yeah. comes out, he's like, yeah, listen, I got to go. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Mia, listen, I got to get going. <laughs> His whole mood is changed. Yeah, man. That's why I think he may have rubbed one out in there and just got that out the way. He's like, all right, I'll get this out the bag. Get this out. I get this round out the chamber. We got to get this one out and we're going to move on. Yeah, yeah. But this is a great song from Urge Overkill. This launches them. They're a nobody. Mm. This song is everywhere. You know, this song is, uh, it's, it's ingrained in the 90s, but it's ingrained in this scene. Yeah. And it's a great fucking moment. And then, you know, it's great because how it starts off slow, right? It's kind of how like this whole night has started and then it just goes crazy and rocks and it's what's about to happen, you know? Yeah. This is about to be turned upside down. You know, she sits down, thinks she's got fucking cocaine in the pocket. I talked about it on the podcast because he didn't have uh, balloons. balloons. So is what's up? Baggies okay? You only put cocaine in baggies, but hair in the balloon. So this is why the whole thing goes fucking sideways. It's funny because we've just been from like this real cool vibe to all of a sudden it's like a real fast, aggressive song. Yeah. Probably because of, hey, Mia, yeah, I got to get going. <laughs> She's fucking down on the ground. What a, what a graphic moment to see her like that when I first saw that as yes. a kid. Scared the yes. shit out of me, yo, when I was a kid. Scared the shit out of him. Whoa, yeah. He's just talked himself down from not fucking her so he doesn't get killed. <laughs> and now, worse, it's worse. Okay, here's the thing. If you're going to get killed by Marcellus Wallace, yeah. it's better to have done it for fucking her than letting her OD. Yeah. At least you got something out of it. Yeah. At least you, before you die, you go, you know what? Yeah. It was worth it. She had the, she had some bomb like, pussy and you could at least die happy. Say, at least you got the fuck. Right? Exactly, right? Like, at least people would have been like, hey, I mean, look, he did get the fuck. Right? Yeah, I mean, you know? <laughs> like, you can't let her fucking OD. Yeah, man. I think he, he stops uh, doing drugs because of that. But Urge Overkill's Go, You'll Be Woman Soon. Again, is the more modern, the only modern song on the soundtrack. Okay. It's a cover. So I'm saying it's the covered song modern for it. It's not a modern song because obviously it was originally done back in the 60s by a different artist who has been on another Tarantino soundtrack that we'll talk about in December, <laughs> Mr. Neil Diamond. The song, when you first heard it, how, how did it make you feel in this scene? Because the scene, I feel like this is one of those songs that's married to its scene. Yes, yes. When I first heard it, I also didn't know what was going to happen. Like, I was like, they're listening to this song because they're going to fuck? Yo, you know, I don't know. What gets me about the song is I always picture her dancing. I love how she dances in the song. Yeah. I just love, I feel, I, again, I don't know if this is something about her character that we don't know. That maybe she is being who she really wants to be around this guy. You know, like feeling comfortable because you, you talked about her 
feeling more comfortable. Yeah. Because I feel like she almost has this, like, and I say childlike because of innocence. Like, she, it looks like she's being free. When I see, when we see her in a scene with, with Marcellus Wallace, she doesn't speak no more. Like, I don't think she speaks. And it's like two moments, maybe. They, don't, they, they do not actually speak to each other. But when we see her in this story with, uh, with Vincent, she's being fun and quirky and stuff yeah. like that. So when she's dancing... I imagined the, the, uh, a free person dancing, enjoying herself. Then, of course, yeah. when I was smart <laughs> enough to realize that what she was doing was pulling out fucking heroin, and I, you know, I'm smart enough to connect, like, yo, yeah, that's what that was, and no balloons was to lead to this motherfucker. Like, then I started getting scared, you know? But <laughs> to be honest, when I hear this song, I just think about her dancing. Do you do the guitar strum, too, like she does? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, you by the lap. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Maybe not if you're driving, but if you're by yeah. home, you're like, yeah, you're man, the I love the yep. way it starts, man. It's a beautiful song. Uh, he has a way of, of uh, like you said, making it fit to the scene. Doesn't matter what the context is. Obviously, it has context for him. I don't know how he got here, but I know that when I when it starts, a certain scene starts on a song. You know, needle drops because it, 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 it when it when it starts, I know that something's gonna happen in the scene. Now, when a song starts, it's not for nothing. It's taking yeah, us. Right, yeah. It's taking yeah. us. Like there's people that try very hard to do like a music montage at the end of a season or whatever. This motherfucker is doing this on like any random scene in all his films, and it's yeah. something that somebody else would kill to have as a music montage yeah. to end the scene. And it's not a fucking montage. Exactly. He's like, he's found a yeah. way to not have to, although obviously as his career moves on, he leans back into a lot of orchestral pieces from soundtracks he liked, and obviously had yeah. uh, Ennio Morricone do the Hateful Eight for him, but he found a way to score his films using modern music that very few people outside of I would only really put uh, of in his in his category is like Scorsese like the ability to take a song and even though you knew it maybe before or after like it doesn't leave your consciousness from that film anymore yes. you know like that is now the song this is the moment you know that song from yes. you know so it's like the two are now married together whether they were ever meant to be yeah and if i'm an artist i go with that you know what I mean? yeah. like i don't i don't get upset about that yeah i go you're goddamn right this song is from paul fiction you know yeah, what i mean exactly you come out and go well, you close with that song i don't know many people who could even name an urge overkill song besides this one you know, Probably, if Urge yes. Overkill ever comes to town, the only song I want to hear is this mm. one. Just play this and we'll all dance. No, I hear you, man. That happened to me with a lot of his soundtracks. Like even on, on Kill Bill with George Stanfield, the guy that does The yeah. Lonely Shepherd. Yes. Fucking go on YouTube looking at these motherfucking songs and shit. And I found uh, like yep. at least five or six that I like. Yep. You know what I'm saying? But I listen to that shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> So I hear you, man. I agree with you with that shit. Yeah. Well, just as this song signals the danger for the film, it also signals the danger moments for the soundtrack. As song 10 is If Love is a Red Dress, Hang Me in Rags, from Maria McKee. McKee is an American singer-songwriter and founding member of the Cowpunk Americana band, Lone Justice. This song was personally selected for the soundtrack and is the only original song on it. This is a background song. However, it becomes very eerie because it is playing while Gentleman makes a phone call. This song plays eerily over the radio in Maynard's <laughs> lovely shop when Butch and Marcellus come stumbling fighting. And you can really hear it when Maynard picks up the phone just before Butch blacks out and says, Spider's caught a fly and hangs up the phone. Mm. That's the moment we hear it as it disappears. Now, I will be completely honest. I usually skip this track. And I think a lot of it is, not because I don't think it's a good song. Mm -hmm. It's the connotation this song has. Mm. 
It's the knowing where this song is leading. Yeah. It is probably, it's in the psyche. It's a PTSD moment. It's in the psyche. I know where we're going. Raping is about to happen, yeah. and I want no part of it. But like you said, I do feel that this also informs us about the character. Now, by no means am I saying Maria McKee is some kind of redneck racist rapist piece of shit. <laughs> I'm just saying sometimes redneck rapist piece of shit really enjoy old country music. Yes. No matter if they live in the South or if they live in California. Yeah, yeah. And that's what Maynard, I mean, his name's Maynard. Do I need to say more? There is a Confederate flag in the entranceway. <laughs> say no more, fam. All the signs are there, <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. Like all the signs are there yeah. that, hey, certain people are not. Welcome in this shop. However, I will say they are equal opportunist rapists, so it doesn't matter. Color. They'll rape whoever. <laughs> They'll rape everybody. <laughs> They're raping everybody in here. <laughs> oh, we're laughing too uh, much at rape. We, <laughs> we may not want black people to come into our store, but we'll rape them and white folks equally downstairs <laughs> in the basement of Maynard's. <laughs> Jesus. That should be like a band. Yeah. Maynard's Basement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some weird country western band, Maynard's Basement, which only a few people would even get. Yeah. Um, That's true, yeah. But yeah, this song is like, it's not a memorable one, but it's memorable when you're in the scene. So if like you listen to it uh, you know, on the soundtrack, if you look at it on the soundtrack, you go, when the fuck was this? And then you hear it, you go, oh, That's Jesus. what happened to me. You know what I mean? That's yeah. what happened to me. I, w- I was having a hard time at first because I, I, I wasn't connecting it so much because it's a, the other song I connect more with that <laughs> but uh but yeah I, I i agree with you with with that so because it's background but the thing is there's some background songs that that do stay with me or that i remember yeah so i don't know why with that one I, unless i was having a moment like well, kind of like lonesome yeah. town lonesome town's really like a background song but it it sticks and this one sticks but for the wrong maybe maybe it's what you said unless a subconscious thing was like mm-hmm. no you know, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> because when you first see the movie, it's a low-angle shot up at Maynard. He's on the phone as our boy's starting to black out because he's got hit in the face with a fucking shotgun. And he's just had head trauma from a car accident. Sure. And mm-hmm. he says, and he's Spider. Uh, he said, I forget what he says. Uh, he said, this is Spider. Caught a fly or whatever. And then hangs to the phone. And then as he blacks out, they does a great job of making that song sound almost like like it's in a tunnel. Like like you're losing the, the hearing of it. Mm-hmm. And it's just creepy. And it's not meant to be a creepy song. But sometimes you can take regular songs and make them fucking creepy, given the context with which you see them in or hear them in. And that's what this unfortunate for this poor woman, Maria McKee. She's probably like one of the nicest people ever. She probably like donates to the homeless and all kinds of things. But the only thing we all remember for, at least us Tarantino fans, is she's the song that signifies raping's about to happen. (laughs) I mean, maybe maybe, uh, Tarantino wanted to have a creepy effect. Who knows? Because, okay, this is something that I... Actually, I never actually said this shit to nobody, but I'm going to fucking say it here. Exclusive! It's it's a a, a Tarantino exclusive. I, I used to think of... And again, this is actually... You know, blame Tarantino for this. Tarantino inspiration. <laughs> I used to think of writing a, a, a rape scene to a Dancing Queen from <laughs> where it would be like this song that people might think is a beautiful song is playing, but something horrible is happening. You know, only You know why? How's this? Those who are listening to this have just known that we just on the uh, episode for this month, the Under the Influence with Pulp Fiction, we talk about. A Clockwork Orange. And in the Clockwork Orange, 
Singing in the Rain is used in a brutal home invasion beating up and rape moment. And the combination of those two things is, and again, I don't mean this in any, like, I think rapes are fun. No, no. This is pure cinematic storytelling. This is what I'm talking about. So I don't want anyone to listen to this and be like, God damn, he fucking (laughs) loves rape. No, no, not at all. Not at all. No, not at all. I'm just talking about how we've married images and sound together. And in that, what Kubrick did was, is he took a song that is upbeat and happy. And we're talking about singing in the rain. You know, I'm singing in the rain. And then as he's doing it, he's walking up and kicking a guy. And then he's cutting a woman's clothes off to rape her. And it's it's like, you're like, what the fuck? It's taking two things that should not be together and mixing them. What's great about that is it fucks with your head. And that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to elicit that emotion out of you. It's supposed to take you away. So what you're saying was you're... And I'm not laugh, please. I, I know this sounds horrible as I'm giddy. I'm not. But when you take yeah, Abba's Dancing Queen. Dancing Queen and there's going to be a rape to it, it's l- very similar to Singing in the sense. Rain and what happens in A Clockwork Orange. It's you're taking two dissimilar things and, put, and marrying mm. them together. We're supposed to be watching horrific music or yeah. something that seems like that. You should not be hearing an upbeat, fun track while the most horrific thing in the world is happening. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I don't know if you're a fan of Clockwork Orange, but Clockwork Orange is one of my favorite movies of all time. And it helped inform a lot of the things that have happened in Tarantino. Tina's oh, career, wow. especially when you marry uh, visuals and sound together. And I think that uh, what you're saying and kind of what we're about to also get into is you take something doesn't match and you put it in and it actually has a, I would say, the, the effect you're looking yeah. for. But yeah, so like, again, we're not, again, folks, we're not at all saying rape is good or making fun of it. We're just talking about how in cinema, sometimes you can take yeah. two things that aren't alike and when you marry them together, it changes the interesting. But it does lead to the moment that we're talking about. Track 11, Comanche by The yeah. Rebels. The Rebels were an American rock band from California that were associated with the 1960s surf music scene. This song was written in 1961 by Robert Hafner and was also featured on the Exile soundtrack from that same year. This song is being played by poor, poor Marcellus Wallace. Is being sodomized in Maynard's shop basement, or we don't know he's being sodomized the first time you see it. It's while Butch breaks free and he knocks the fucking gimp, punches him and kills him and goes ahead and does that great scene of choosing between different weapons as we keep going up the hierarchy and then decides to free him. This song originally was supposed to be My Sharona by The Knack. That was the song Tarantino originally wanted to use for the scene. My Sharona by the Knack. It's my, my, my Sharona. You've never heard that song before? No? Oh, well, when you go listen, you'll be like, again, I think that was the point. He was trying to take another poppy song. However, I feel this Comanche song really works even better. But it was supposed to be that, but one of their members, as they do, once they've done a lot of fucking and drugs, they find Jesus. (laughs) They, They found God, and they didn't want their song associated with this scene. Understandable, but whatever. The hard saxophone in this song and just the rhythm of it. And then the added in, come on. Oh, you know, when you first hear it, you think there's a beat yeah. to shut him, right? Like you have no idea. First time I saw this movie, no fucking clue. No idea that was happening. And anytime you watch it after, you still listen. You can listen to it and, you, and now you know, but it still sounds like yes. you're beating the shit out of somebody. Yes. You know, it doesn't sound like rape. Until that fucking door is... And what a great job, too. It's the old horror shot of the hand slowly pushing open a door to reveal the horror behind it. That's why this is my favorite movie. This song is just... I can't listen to it on the soundtrack. Because the only thing it's tied to is Marcel Swallows being raped. Like, I can't... I just know what's going on. Like, even when I hear it, even I want to add the... Come on, motherfucker. Like, it's just... "Mm." Like, like, it's so ingrained in my head from seeing it so much. Like, it's awful. Like, I feel so bad. It's like when you know it's song or you know a moment and you just it, you know verbatim it's just it's a trigger reaction you know it you go boom i'm in so 
When you hear this song, what is your reaction? Do you, you know, go for like jog, <laughs> or do you cry in the corner, take a shower? Well, I, I, the, the, the thing with this song is that again, I was very young when I accidentally saw this motherfucking scene, so it really messed with me as a kid because, like, you know, what I'm saying first of all, when you think of film, and yeah, we live in a in a world where it's mostly women who are shown getting raped on film yes. or TV shows. Well, unfortunately, it's we live in a world where 98% of rape, I would say, uh, that yeah. might never probably be off, yeah. women are the victim of, you know? Outside of a yeah. prison situation, yes. very few men are raped, yeah. especially in this way. Women, this happens to an, an alarming amount of rape, and which is horrific. But yeah, mm. like you are saying, it's, you're not expecting this. And I think that's one of the great twists yeah. that Tarantino does. Definitely. Is, you know, in some of the movies he knows and he's watched, Women are raped, as I said in Clockwork Orange. However, he doesn't do that. So anyone says he's not a he's a male chauvinistic. I don't think you understand Tarantino yes, films exactly. at all. Because the only woman who did get raped, we knew got raped, was the bride. We never saw it. We saw him talk about it. And then when someone tried to rape her, she ripped that motherfucker's throat out with her teeth, yeah. and then killed the other guy by slamming his head in the yeah. fucking door. So anyone who has done anything like this to women perish horrifically in his movies. And the only person who's really been raped on camera has been, yeah. unfortunately, yes. Marcellus Wallace. And so that definitely this scene, because I saw it as a kid when I wasn't even watching a lot of stuff that I wasn't supposed to in the Dominican Republic, it just stayed with me. Like maybe if I would have, I don't know, but maybe I would have seen it as an adult or even now it wouldn't taint the song as much because I, I would remember it. But now it's like it definitely affects when I hear it, I'm like, damn, motherfucker, like this song is supposed to be like a, I'm sure it's supposed to be a hype song. And all I can think of is yeah. that scary moment with a door being opened. And just like Butch, I'm surprised. Like, yo, I'm seeing the most feared man in the movie is getting raped. That's crazy. Yes. That yes. is crazy. Right? He's the most feared man in this film that even... Uh, Vincent, who is the, the coolest as ice, his voice, his acting was great. His voice goes high, like, like, oh Jesus fucking Christ, and you know, and I'm gonna snitch on you. Basically, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a snitch, yeah, if you don't help me. Yeah, you know, like so. Yeah. His acting was great there. By the way. Samuel Jackson's afraid yeah. of him. Samuel Jackson's afraid of him, and Samuel Jackson's the yes. baddest motherfucker in this film. That you know, we get to see he's not overstepping yeah. so his bounds. So to me, that was hard, like when people talk about the the violence in Tarantino films, like even the stuff that people don't want to acknowledge, you know, because they don't talk about that. They think about the the shooting that we don't even see, that we just see like a like a light. Yeah, like that's the violence yep. because they never saw the movie. They probably saw previews. You know, yeah. what I think about is these real moments that are horrific and show the scary things that can happen in real yeah. life. And anytime you listen to Comanche, you will never, ever be able, just like if I ever hear Singing in the Rain, I don't think of the musical. <laughs> I think of Clockwork Orange. I don't ever listen to the song uh, Stuck in the Middle with You and not think of someone's ear being cut off. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. Urge Overkill song, if that ever comes on, I only think yeah. of that. You know, like there's just moments that are ingrained forever in our heads, yeah. which will lead us to track 12. Another song I'd never heard of before in my life, but yet I sing along to every time it's on, just like Butch does. And that's Flowers on the Wall by the Statlin Brothers. This song was written by Lou DeWitt and recorded by the Statlin Brothers in 1965. The song peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot Country Singles Chart and reached number four on the Billboard Hot 100 Chart. It won a Grammy for Best Contemporary Performance Group in 1966. This song was used as the bumper music for syndicated radio talk show Coast to Coast AM when Art Bell was the host and has been referenced by Kurt Vonnegut, The Muppets, and John McClane in Die Hard with a Vengeance. This song plays as our man Butch. Driving away after retrieving his gold watch and unfortunately killing Vincent Vega. And we're all like in a good mood because it's an uplifting song. Because we're counting flowers on the wall and it doesn't bother me at all. And 
smoking cigarettes till dawn with, you know, just all the fun stuff is going on in the song. And then all of a sudden, there's a large black man with donuts <laughs> yeah. in his hand and looks at us. He goes, motherfucker. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we run him over with a car. What a scene, man. Right? Butch is like, that's how you're going to get away, Butch. You're always one step ahead. Like, And we're all like, man, he did it. Another tense scene. Yeah. He got through it. We're like, oh, man. And then all of a sudden. There's Marcellus. That when he crazy. looks at us as the audience, he goes, motherfucker. At the same time, I think we're looking at him going, motherfucker. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there he is. Like the most feared yeah. man in all of the world is right was... there. He's right there, right there with us with donuts. What are we going to do? We're going to hit him with the Honda. I had to crash that, baby. I had to crash your <laughs> Honda. <laughs> had you ever heard this song before in your lifetime? No. That's negative. And then my second part. Do you enjoy the song now? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I I enjoy it because it's just some. There's some songs that I don't listen to all the time from the from the soundtracks, but I enjoy it because I I remember enjoying the scene too, and it takes me back to the film mm-hmm. because I really thought she was gonna get away with it. I, I I was not gonna expect, even though Tarantino films can be so unexpected. To me, it never feels like he forces things. So in any other movie, maybe that would have been forced. He runs into Marcellus Wallace right there. And it doesn't seem like that because he does it in such a natural way. He's not putting the, hey, something scary is about to happen, you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like right. the captions, ominous music, you know, like he's not warning you. Well, that's it. There's not ominous music. It's a catchy yeah. earworm. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, 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 do. He's you know not warning earworm. you. Do you drop your yeah. voice? <laughs> do you drop your voice on Captain Kangaroo? Be honest, yeah. Captain. <laughs> you do too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. I mean, it's, it's, if you're it's, not doing it too out there in Tarantino world, then you're fooling yourself. It's you have fun. to do it, just like Bruce does. We it's all fun, do it. Bro. Yeah, you have but to. But it's, it's definitely that he doesn't warn us when something's about to happen. However, he did tell us that we should have known that someone else was there. The, the gun is number one. Number two, people have said, "Well, why didn't Vincent know he was in the apartment?" Because Vincent was expecting that Marcellus had come back with donuts. And he's taking a shit. Who yells out? You know what I mean? When you're taking a shit, yeah. reading a book, comfortable, you're not yelling out, you back? You know what I mean? That's just, two dudes don't do that. Maybe if your wife or significant oh, others yeah, come yeah, back and like, yeah, and she yeah. may go, hey, honey, yeah. I'm home. But two dudes don't yeah. walk in and go, hey, bro, I'm back. You're still taking yeah, a yeah, shit? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's just something we don't do. So that's why Vincent never thought anything of it, which is why when he opened the door, he was surprised to see it was Butch and not Marcellus. Yeah. That's why he had that look on his face. Not because he got caught with leaving the gun out there. He was like, oh, shit, fuck. And he probably thought that there's no way Butch is coming back, which is why he was so relaxed. Exactly. He took a shit. Marcellus was like, I'm going to go get donuts. Vincent, once again, goes to the bathroom. He's got to take a shit, nothing thinking of it. And that's the genius of it. When you're in the movie, you're not paying attention. When you watch it enough times, you realize that's why Vincent didn't say shit. When I first saw the movie, I was like, why didn't he know he was in there? He's making fucking Pop-Tarts. Right? Because he's expecting that's Marcellus who's come back. Because Marcellus went to get mm. donuts. And Marcellus is walking because it's right around the corner from yes. the fucking place. That's why all that happens. That's why it's not a big fucking... But Tarantino does it smartly. He doesn't. Like you said, he's not giving us big fucking cue cards and this and that. He's not leaving something that makes us know it's Marcellus. When we run into Marcellus and you watch sometimes, you go, oh shit, that's yeah. why. And also he's not taking time to explain it either, which I love. And he wasn't... Uh, treating us like, oh, by the way, guys, this is why, (laughs) you know. He lowers our defenses. Once again, if you hear upbeat music in a Tarantino film, just assume something bad's probably going to (laughs) happen, right? Counting flowers on us and oh shit, there's Marcellus fucking Wallace at the fucking intersection. (laughs) You're like, oh, we just think we've got away. You're kind of torn because you're kind of like, ah. 
fuck, Vincent's dead. That that messed that messed me up. In this movie, from the beginning, you love Vincent. By the time it ends, you think Vincent's yeah. a fucking idiot. His glow up is in the beginning. By the end, you think he's a fucking. It still messed me clown, up, right? Because yeah. the movie just no, gets no, worse. No, definitely. Yeah, because he's our hero. We just watched yes. him survive this unbelievable thing, and then all of a sudden, he's being killed in a battle. You're like, wait a minute. Which again is another genius. Now, like, we're gonna kill a character, but we're gonna bring him back to the end. Like, it just was genius. genius. But again, we went through another tense moment. We think we're out of the woods. We're feeling good. We got the watch. Him and Fabian are gonna get those fucking pancakes. Good for you, Butch. Holy shit, there's the fucking there's there's death himself in the crosswalk. <laughs> this dude is prepared. He's prepared to put people in bowls of rice in Indonesia <laughs> waiting for Butch to show up and pop a cap in his ass. And here he is getting donuts <laughs> and it's time. But that's the thing, is this song disarms yeah. us. It disarms it disarms Butch yes. as well. Butch feels good. He's upbeat. The song's upbeat. He's singing along to it. He's feeling like he fucking got away with it. Like, holy shit, my plan has come together. I did it. I beat him. And then, boom. All of us who paid attention, if you paid attention, when Christopher Watkins tells you about the gold watch and the shit that they went through for this gold watch, you should have known he was not done going through shit to get yes. that gold watch. We should have known. Yeah. They told us. Him and Roger Avery told us that yeah. that's what's going to happen. And we didn't pay attention. That, exactly. That's the thing. Like, you basically... Everything you're saying is that the the answers are there if you have the questions, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's Jeopardy. He's giving you the answer. You just got to ask the question. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No, but um, I, I got to say that that thing messed me up with them killing Travolta. And it was a lot to do because I was a kid. Before that, I used to watch a lot of, you know, little... Kid movies. Yeah, you loved Grace. Yeah, you were watching Look Who's Talking. That's, look that's who's what talking it was. Too. My, look who's my talking mom now. showed us Look Who's <laughs> Talking as kids. So I see like, oh, this is a good guy. He's doing bad things. But when I see him killed, I'm like, what the heck? This, isn't he the star of the movie? As a- what if Look Who's Talking is actually a prequel to Pulp Fiction? Where Mikey turns into Butch and he's had enough <laughs> of fucking Vincent. Vincent, the airline isn't doing well. He's had to turn into good crime. I know what you did to my mom, uh, motherfucker. <laughs> exactly right. Definitely disarming song. I like that, man. You're right. <laughs> That'll lead us to the final music track on the CD or the soundtrack, and that is Surfrider by The Lively Ones. The Lively Ones were an instrumental surf rock band active in Southern California during the 1960s. They recorded mostly cover songs, but there were a few originals, like their 1963 song, Surfrider, that was made popular when it appeared on the soundtrack. We open the movie with a hard-rocking surf track, but we close it out with this real cool surf song by The Lively Ones. It's one of those songs, if you'd never heard it before, if you heard it without the context of the movie, nothing. But what sells this song is when they get up and they walk and they stop at the door, they tuck in the guns in their shirt and they look back. To me, I'm just like, do something, motherfucker, yeah. kind of look. And they cool as fuck walk yep. out the doors. It's one of those things we talked about, um, and I'm sure we'll get through it more, but Reservoir Dogs ends with Coconut, upbeat yeah. song. Even True Romance, although it's a adjacent yeah. movie, it ends with Two of Hearts by Chris Isaac. It ends with an upbeat song. This ends with an upbeat song. Jackie Brown, not necessarily because it goes to across 110th Street. However, it's a triumphant song yes. for Jackie Brown because it's about succeeding getting across 110th Street. So it's not as upbeat, but it is a triumphant song. Kill Bill ends, especially when you know, we finish the actual Kill Bill song, ends upbeat song. Death Proof, the chick song, when they're fucking stepped, they stomped his fucking skull in. You know, he ends these tragic events with, hey, 
I hope you had a good time in this film. Nice. And you get a little upbeat music to send us yeah. out. You know, yeah. you don't feel so bad because you got to be in a real depressive state if an upbeat song like uh, like a Flowers on the Wall type song or this Surfrider song makes you feel yeah. sad. Mr. White has just killed Mr. Orange and he gets shot away by the cops. And the it's put a lime the into the coke. You know what I mean? We're just kind of like, hey, it's, you know. <laughs> I hope you feel happy. And this Surfrider song does the same. Exactly. You know? It's almost like, hey, thanks for coming. I hope yeah, you enjoyed the ride. Like you know, like, you never get off a ride at any amusement park and it's like some kind of like ominous music <laughs> we're glad you survived you pussies you're disney it's like dee, 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 dee. you know you come off and yeah. like hey go to the gift shop you know like, and that's kind of what it's like how do you like the song i know it's probably the only time you listen to it is really when it's in the the theater but no no i actually this one it's actually one of my favorites from the soundtrack and really? it is nice one of the reasons is because at the time that i was i saw the movie the first time i was too young to be able to realize that just because a character you like dies does not mean that your movie should be ruined. Agreed. And that's something that I probably went through before. Now when people are like that, I'm like, yo, what the fuck, man? People die, you know, like enjoy, appreciate <laughs> the writing, you know, and shit like that. But I'm like that now. And and maybe Tarantino has helped me with that because he kills off so many <laughs> yeah. great motherfuckers that I like. So to me, that was a redemption of the movie and, and, and getting to end with Travolta still walking out, you know, with, with, uh, with Samuel Jackson. I was like, never expected this. I'm like, wait, I know the movie's out of order, but I never thought that I would get to enjoy the ending with a character that I like. Yeah. Like, this is not the same, yeah. but in Goodfellas, I like that I got to see Tommy at the end. You know? Yes. <laughs> it made me feel like, hey, he's still here. I know he's not. You yeah. know? <laughs> so... I, I enjoyed that. And it was actually probably when I started in my mind walking to a soundtrack, you know, like something like I was like, yo, I look, yeah. I feel like I would look cool walking like this. And I picture Yeah, song. when you have headphones on and yes. no one else knows yes. you're, you're listening to, you're like, everyone can yes. hear this. I'm going to move. Right? I, exactly. Like, uh, you just bop like, along. I know <laughs> that in my mind, I must look amazing. Whatever. Like, I don't think yeah. of myself like that. That's not what I'm trying to say. But in my mind, I feel like I look cool walking like this. Like, just like Tarantino has done this. I'm pretty sure like stone cold theme music you know, <laughs> you know there's, a, there's yeah. a few songs that in my mind i can picture myself walking to and i'm like i know i don't walk like stone cold and i don't walk like that but i must be looking cool walking like this right now yeah yeah so, absolutely i agree with you that's uh the way he uses these songs at the end are very different sometimes in, from his opening scene sometimes they are similar but I enjoyed it because I was not expecting at that time to end the movie feeling like, yo, these characters are still with me. It was a, a, an emotional yeah. feeling that I had, you know? I enjoyed that. Very few movies of his end on a sour note. Even the Hateful Eight, even though everyone dies has a tender moment yeah. when they're reading the letter. Yeah. There's tragic stuff that happens in his films. Horrific things happen to people. But at the end, he always finds a way to send us off almost like Disney, even though we're not wow. paying attention to it. Because you can talk about Tarantino movies and no one's ever been like, that dude knows how to write a good, happy <laughs> ending, right? But almost Nobody. every movie you leave and you walk out and you go, you have a bit of an upbeat like, oh, all right, that was a good time. Like that, yeah. He understands that it's a movie-going experience. You should have yeah. fun. No matter what I've just shown you throughout this, this journey, you should have enjoyed the journey at the end. I'm going to send you out with a little happy beat so that you can feel good about it on the way. Nice, yeah. I agree. I like that. Now, there are seven dialogue tracks mm -hmm. on this soundtrack, and they are the Pumpkin and Honey mm -hmm. Bunny opening, the Royale with Cheese Me. moment, Zed's Dead Baby, so Zed. the Jack Rabbit Slim's <laughs> Twist mm -hmm. Contest announcement, yeah. the terrifying Bring Out the Gimp, the great personality goes a long <laughs> way talk about why we don't yeah. eat pork or why yeah. we should, and then, of course, the... This is something we'll cover probably in another season or maybe later this season, but maybe the most famous 
moment of his, the Ezekiel 2517 moment from Pulp Fiction. The path of the righteous man is beset on both sides. But that yeah. so, we'll so of those seven moments, which is your favorite? Like I always tell you, that's a hard motherfucking question. Um, <laughs> and it makes it harder because on Reservoir Dogs, there's two moments. There are two uh, dialogue yeah. moments. So they're easy to pick from. But these are yeah, like... Yeah, a lot. T- I mean, the, of course... With, with a Tarantino film, it's like, yeah, how, can I just pick all of them? You know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, whatever. Yeah, right, exactly. But, uh, um, yeah. We talked about the Royale with cheese because it leads into the whole thing with the mayonnaise and then the, the pig personality yeah. one. Mm. I know, yeah. right? I'm going to go with the Royale with cheese because it's like the introduction. Royale yeah. with yeah, cheese. Yeah, I'm going to go with that one. How about you? <laughs> I love the pumpkin honey bunny because I love the... And he yeah. fucking puts move, like how it ends. I love that because it's just so aggressive. But the Royal with cheese is so cool. And that'd be one hell of a motherfucking yeah. pig. <laughs> but maybe I think it's Ezekiel twenty five seventeen. I just there's something about yeah. it. You know, yeah. it's yeah. just especially I think what gives it the at that weight is how he then re uh, tells it at the yeah. end. You know, because when he says it in this, you know, on the soundtrack, it's the yeah, moment it's in the apartment. Scary. But when he yeah. then himself mentalizes how that he now looks at the the saying after what's happened in that day and tells it to Pumpkin, it just takes that whole, oh, I think this is just a cool way to kill motherfuckers to all of a sudden being like, I analyze it. I'm a piece of wow. shit too. Like, it's just, but I'm trying real yeah. hard. You know, Ringo. Character development, just baby. Like, Whoa. Yeah, so I think it's at these nice, equal nice. Let's ask our guest. Some fucking questions. Well, we're going to wrap this up with four final questions for you about maybe one of the greatest soundtracks to ever grace the world. Your first question, what is your favorite track on the Pulp Fiction soundtrack? Okay. Of course, it was hard to... I, I had the questions. It was hard. But um, I'm also going to go with uh, the song you mentioned, Son of a Preacher Man. Well, obviously, you know where I stand on that one. <laughs> it's just something so smooth, and, and, and it's almost like... It's beautiful, too, the way it starts. The it music. is. The song yeah. itself is yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Whoever thought of starting with that, yeah. it's, it's, just, just, it's just so beautiful the way it comes in. And her voice. Yeah, it's welcoming. The whole song is welcoming. I've never, you know, like normally when you write songs, people write songs, like it, you're, it's for a voice, right? So if that song that's done by a female, it's for the female point of view. Rarely do you get to see it from the female point of view, but that song somehow pulls me into the female point of view. You know, I want to meet the son of a yeah. preacher. You know, I want him <laughs> to smooth talk me. The way it's delivered, her voice is so just, a song and a voice are married, and this yeah. is one of those moments where that song and voice right and then they throw it in with the scene mm-hmm. boom yeah. does it your second question what is your least favorite track on the soundtrack and i didn't realize how many songs i really liked until we went through this today well um to be honest um going through this whole thing made it easier i thought it was going to be harder but i'm going to go with the um, love is a red dress since it's the least memorable one <laughs> i think that would probably be my <laughs> it's the least yeah. memorable one only because like even though comanche is traumatizing yeah. there's something about Sometimes we get we are more nervous about the event than when the event happens, nice. right? So uh, sometimes I think this song we know what's coming. It's more traumatizing because we know it's coming as opposed to you know when you think about getting your tooth pulled out, you your mind goes like it's gonna hurt, I'm gonna bleed, it's not gonna come out right, it's gonna break in half. Like you have all these horrific things your mind builds up, and then when the moment happens, it gets yanked out. You're like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was gonna be. You know, we build things up yeah. so much. So I think I agree with you because if we know what's about when he says the phone in his hand, we go, yeah. Ah, fuck. Even in the first time you see the movie, you go, I just caught a spider. Like, I just caught a fly. Like, that doesn't, that's not good. He's not saying we've got new customers. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's not saying, and, I'm going to be able to sell these guys a couple, <laughs> a set of white wall tires and a TV. That's not what yeah. he's saying, you know? Yeah, it's some creepy shit. And he's shit. a pawn and shop owner. I don't understand what it is that still happens to me. I could see a movie for, uh, let's say, a hundred times without exaggerating. Let's say that I reached that point of... Mm-hmm. 
watching the movie, but I still get anxious and nervous about certain scenes coming up, even though I know what's going to happen. It's coming. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's because okay. the first time you saw it, it touched the nerve yeah. in you. It gave you, I don't want to say PTSD, but it had like a traumatic moment for yeah. you. I mean, that's good, you know, but it informed something in you and you were just like, that's, yep, from now on, whenever <laughs> I hear Singing in the Rain, <laughs> it's not going to be a happy musical <laughs> from Broadway. It's going to be horrific events. Yeah. What is the most underrated track you feel on this unbelievable soundtrack? Well, of the ones that I like, I feel like they might be somehow known. You know, like Mr. Lou, they took off on its own, right? Like all these songs and, yeah. and the fans, I think we'll appreciate most of these. But I'm going to go with the, the last one, Surf Rider. I would say it's underrated just because of what it means to me. Um, that it's not a song with lyrics. It's not by a known artist. But I feel like it's a powerful way to, to end the movie. Yeah. Because it fits perfectly with the two characters as they're walking out. Like when you when you were describing how they look back and they tuck in the gun. Like they're wearing the clothes that, they're being, that they were made fun of. <laughs> they were made yep. fun of by a dork yep. of being uh, dorks. Like you look like dorks, yep. you know, with... Tarantino with his voice. Ha ha, you're close, yeah, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they weren't being made fun of, and, and, and they still look so badass in that moment. They did, yeah. They made volleyball <laughs> shorts and shirts like look cool as shit, yeah. yeah. They did. And they got a Jerry Curl. Like they, they have the worst style, but yet they're two of the baddest motherfuckers in the yeah, world yeah. at the moment. And now for the toughest question. Where does this soundtrack rank for you in all of his soundtracks? Well, my top three are um, this one and, and um, Jackie Brown and Kill Bill. If Kill Bill has so much in there, right? I listen to a lot of them. But those are the, the three that I feel like I have more music that I pick from to listen to. Yeah. So out of the three, I'm going to put this one at number two. And I'm not going to tell you which is one of three. Two. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. This is the, the tip of the spear because there are a lot of good soundtracks. And that's what the point of this is this year is to yeah. go through them. And there's a few in there that I think are uh, underappreciated, just like the movies that are associated oh, Death with Proof them. I listen to a lot as well. I would throw Death Proof and Jackie Brown yeah. as two of the more underappreciated mm. soundtracks of his. But yes, this is in my top three as well, and I don't know where yet. <laughs> like, as I'm going through, like, like, at the end, I might, when I'm done with it, because, you know, as you go through them, you're like, oh, this is my favorite. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, this is my favorite. But uh, if, if I had to say where I think my favorite one is right now, where I think it is, I think it's Death Proof. Mm. What a great one, man. But I might say that because I think there's so much underrated music on it where this has been out for so long now that to pick it, like for my answer, would have been Flowers on the Wall because way back in the day when this first came out, I would have said, oh, Let's Stay Together is one of I mean, like some of these songs. But now they've been out and got such a resurgence yeah. over the last 30 years that they're not underrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know That's what I mean? So I would pick, point. like you did, I would pick one of the, the later songs that people don't really know because of how they've kind of gone by the wayside because we know all this music for so long. No, no, I like your answer. And I'm glad that you answered too because, uh, you know, you as your guest, you know, I, I get to answer <laughs> questions, but it's good to hear you um, answer the questions too. I try not to answer them because I don't want it to sound like I'm just asking them so I can get my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I made this question to pretend I'm really asking you, but I really just want to answer my own answer. You know? <laughs> I get you. No, but this is, I love that you also went over the, the dialogue tracks because I think those are the the gifts to us as fans from by, oh, yeah. by them doing the soundtrack with also including that not everybody does that even now you know like yeah i'm, I'm sure some people do it but like nah it's not the same i feel like some of it was ego based because he knows he writes good dialogue but that being said I really do yeah. appreciate it because you know what? He really does write. Not does he just write that good dialogue, but the actors saying it are amazing. It. You know, so I'm never like, oh, why yeah. put this on here? You almost go, can we get an entire soundtrack of just the speaking parts yeah. of the movie? But that's the thing. Know? I think that's the right? difference between us as fans. Like, I'm sure other people are like, oh, skip, skip. And we're like, no, don't yeah, skip. Yeah, no, this is part of it. 
And that will do it for this month's Hymno Devotional. I would once again like to thank my special guest, Frank Hannon, co-host of the Bachata Talk podcast for joining me. Now you can find the link to the Bachata Talk podcast along with the show's socials in the show's notes. And as always, you can become a member of the Church of Tarantino by following us on all our socials. Those links can be found in the show notes as well. So join me again on Monday, March 27th, as Petros Batsilovis, host of the Cajun Copa Connections podcast and the duo known as the podcast nobody asked for, Ian Harrys and Graham Jones, join me to help celebrate our Lord and Savior Quentin Tarantino's 60th birthday. There will be laughter, there will be Tom Fuckery, there will be top three lists, and there will be a trivia contest death match. So be sure to join us for our very special QT 60th birthday celebration on March 27th. Now, if you'd be so kind and take a moment to like, review, subscribe, and follow us, the church would greatly appreciate it, as it will help other Tarantino fans like yourself find the show. So until next time, this has been the Reverend Scott K. May Tarantino be with you always. This has been a man with an exceptional beard production.